Hey everyone, welcome back to another incredible Friday episode of The Gathering Movement. I'm here today with another fellow New Jerseyan, New Jerseyan, Patricia. How are you, Patricia? I'm good. How are you, Bridget? I'm good. Apparently, I'm struggling to say New Jersey today, that's for sure. <laughs> it happens. It does. Um, we were joking before we started that we might hear the dog barking in the background, but this is what keeps it real. And we have to just be honest with ourselves. We have to be real. So thank you, Patricia, for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So we know um, each other from a few different places. We are both Kundalini yogis, Kundalini yoga teachers. So we have that in common. We're from New Jersey. And I'm so grateful because I also have the privilege of knowing you because you are one of the authors of Legacy Speaks. Yes, yes. <laughs> So many beautiful, beautiful things. So as we get started here, I always love to like take a few steps back. You know, we're going to be talking about how your relationship with work is your relationship with life. And I'd love to hear about your kind of early relationship with work, maybe even when you had your first job. What did that look like for you? You know, um, in so many ways, right? there are all these reflections that we see, like our culture, our work, and our everyday life. And I feel like when you're in it sometimes, it's very hard to see because you've essentially constructed a norm. So you don't think there's anything wrong or you don't think anything's different. And my whole life, you know, I've always been a very type A personality, hard worker, high achiever. And I would always try my best with everything I did, no matter how big or small it was. And never really thought anything of it. It was just my belief that you always put your all in something. And that's not a bad thing, right? And, you know, it always served me very well. It served me in different leadership positions, even in, you know, in, you know, college. And then, once I got into the working world, it was very similar to that, right? I was like, let me get my certification. What do I want to do next? And I was always planning for the future, always moving forward. And I had this, I don't know, capacity that um, I was always going to be a step ahead because I didn't want to ever have to miss an opportunity. So what that looked like was is that I was trying to get my certification as soon as I could. I wanted to get my master's in place. And then I wanted to have these things in place. So I was ready for that next job and ready for that next promotion. And, you know, and truthfully, it, it served me well. I, you know, I really can't, you know, complain from that matter. But the more time went on and the more that I kept working in these different, you know, um, capacities, I just felt like something was missing. Hmm. And I actually, at first, I would say almost blanketed it with anxiety, burnout, adrenal fatigue. And all those things are true. All those things are real but I kind of put them in as part of a almost like the norm of the culture. Mm. Cause really I wasn't doing anything different from anyone else. I still remember 
my operations counterpart, both of us up to like one in the morning working to get things done. We would go out on a Friday night and have it be like a work night <laughs> to get work done. And I built some wonderful relationships that I still have today. Um, but part of it also was because we were all working so hard and because we were constantly in this active state and almost we almost were feeding off of each other in it and it it, it became accepted and it nothing really started to click until i actually switched jobs thinking to myself okay i've i'm more experienced at this now right I should be able to decrease the hours. I should be able to feel more rested and more energized. But nothing actually changed. So that's kind of when things started to kind of, I would say, the seeds were dropped. That, you know, it didn't matter the experience that I had. It didn't matter the proficiency I, I had. It didn't even matter that I was excelling. I was still in this constant state of exhaustion that no matter how much sleep I got, no matter how much rest I got, no matter if I took the vacation or not, I still was never energized. And if anything, work became a greater and greater part of my life. Hmm. Hmm. It's funny that we're talking about this today. I had a, a talk with my therapist yesterday about almost like the paradox of success. And like the paradox of like moving forward, because it's like when we excel or we move forward in our life, sometimes our priorities start to be just that thing instead of mm -hmm. like taking care of ourselves. But we think that we should be doing that, right? We think we should be succeeding and going for more and more and more because society um, teaches mm -hmm. us that that's normal, just like you said. So I'm curious, like your thoughts on that, because it was so ingrained. So at what point did you start to like make this 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 conscious shift within you that, that something had to give. Yeah. So I would have to say, um, and this is something that just came out in a conversation yesterday. And this is, I think where it comes down to more of our feelings of safety and security. When I look back, a lot of what I was doing is that there must have been some underlying fear, right? You could say fear of not being successful, fear of not feeling worthy, fear of not having enough financial security. But what transpired, and again, like this wasn't, this, this was a very little point that I don't think I recognized until recently, is that I was talking to a work colleague and I always felt safe when we would talk. And I knew we always, I always felt safe. But we started having conversations and we actually both reflected that we weren't sure what was next, but we weren't going to move forward with that next degree until we knew what it was. Mm -hmm. And looking back, that was probably the first time that I actually listened to myself. Because I think if I wasn't in that space with him, if he did not reflect, you know, almost a similar sediment, um, I easily would have been in that doctoral program going, going, going. So I think that was kind of the first little inkling of I'm going to trust myself at this moment and I'm not going to move forward until I figure this out. 
Hmm. Hmm. On a podcast yesterday, this came up also trust. Like there's this point Hmm. in our journey when we just say, I have to trust, like there's no other option. Yeah. Oh, completely. And you know, the funny thing is, is that it's still, when this moment happened, that's still, I would say like three, four years ago, because even when that moment happened, I went back to my old ways, or I don't want to say old ways, but the only way we knew how to fix a problem, which was more action, (laughs) (laughs) more action and more literature. And I remember going through the literature and being like, maybe I'm burnt out. Maybe that's it. And, you know, the only tangible item I remember seeing at the time was, you know, mentor others and feel like what you're doing is a value. And I remember reading that and being like, I already do that. And I know there's a value. So that's not it. What else? What else could it be? And it's so interesting, because so much of what they talk about with resiliency and burnout is getting rest and exercise. And I, I remember making all those shifts. I was like, okay, I, you know, I worked with a positive psychology coach to try and decrease my work hours. So I was at work less and that helped a little bit, but I still wasn't feeling energized. I stopped doing like spin class and transferred to kind of more of, of yoga at home thinking I needed to do something that was more restful. I did the Oprah and Deepak Chopra 21 day meditation series (laughs) on a number of occasions and none of it, none of it clicked for some reason. I still was just living in the same, the same realm. And I think that what puts it best is that I do feel like recently, um, literature is changing a little bit. And, and I'm saying that because I actually just read this article the other day. And I was like, yes, this is what I've been saying the whole time. So when I'm looking at burnout, burnout at the end of the day is a disconnection. And the way I've always I've been looking at this is that you don't treat burnout with resiliency, because you're not sure what that burnout is associated with. But ideally, right, we want to have ourselves to be internally aligned. And once we're eternally aligned, then we externally can ensure that we are aligned with that external environment. And now I think it's finally saying is that, yes, you can have exhaustion with burnout. Maybe you do just need a vacation. Maybe you do just need actual like rest and rejuvenation. But the other piece is, is that you also could be having a disconnection with the social relationships that could be at work, as well as it could be a disconnection with yourself. And for me, this is really where Kundalini Yoga greatly impacted my life because those practices help build your resiliency by reprogramming and recalibrating your nervous system, your glandular system, and at the same time, repattering, especially with that breath work, your your brain and your mind. So for the first time, I actually shifted from the state where I was constantly in the stress state. And part of that was constantly worrying about the past and thinking about the future 
to now actually being able to sit and enjoy the present moment, not be overly focused on the past and the future, having the security, having that resiliency, and truly being more, I could say, in the feminine and being able to flow. Thanks for moving us in this inward direction. Um, as soon as you said like this inner experience, I was like, we have to talk about Kundalini yoga and you described it so beautifully. How did Kundalini yoga find you? Like, where did you begin to find your practice? Oh my gosh. Um, well, <laughs> it's completely random, right? Yep. So, you know, in, in my quest to write, to figure this out, I, I scoured the literature, but I've always, you know, been very interested in knowing that we could heal ourselves, right? I just never knew exactly what that looked like. And I maybe didn't really understand how. And truthfully, I was going through Mind Body Green one day, and there was an article that, so at the time, when I originally spoke about this, I actually thought the article was about decreasing anxiety. But actually the article, when I went back and checked it out, was about elevating your frequency. And I was like, hmm. So that really engaged me, like elevate my frequency. Like maybe that's it. Cause I've been so tired and low and exhausted. How can I elevate it? And it was, a, it was an article. Um, and with the article, it said there was this rose meditation to do with it. So I remember I was in my bed, I clicked on it and this was Guru Jaquette who um, runs the Rama Institute. And I'm just listening to her talk and she's talking about the, the technology, right? The Kundalini science and technology of, of angles. She's talking about the gland, she's talking about the nervous system. And to me, I'm like, this makes sense. I'm like, this, this actually is science. And next thing I know, she's like, okay, we're gonna do some yoga. And I'm completely unprepared for this, right? But I'm like, okay, let's just do it. And the next thing I know, I'm doing this practice. I think my husband comes in, I'm like <laughs> on my bed, like kicking my feet. He's like, what is going on? I'm like, we're just gonna go with this. And I finished the whole thing and I'm just like, huh, I actually feel better. I feel different. I feel revitalized. And from there on, I just, you know, I, I kind of just scoured the internet, um, following her, following Rama, just diving into some 40 day practices, ended up moving here with my husband for a lot of family reasons. Um, and then honestly, three months of exploring online, I signed up for teacher training. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just such a practice. And I know what was important for me you know, I'd been practicing yoga for about seven years before Kundalini Yoga found me. Mm -hmm. And vinyasa, you know, hatha yoga, you feel good. Kundalini Yoga, you feel good. Like something yeah. happens. And to me, you're right. The science of it just makes sense. The angles, the breath, and this, and the mantra, the culmination of all the practices put together, like just create this incredible experience for the practitioner. Yes, yes. And what I think I love about it too, is that they term Kundalini yoga, the yoga, you know, of awareness, right? And the more you get to know how your body is responding to stress, 
and how these different, not just stressors or traumas that has happened to you that you may or may not even remember, it, it does sit dormant in your body. And how many times that we go through the practice and you feel better, but then over time, different things come up and shed themselves in so many different ways that it, it truly is the awareness. It's making the unconscious conscious. And that I think is the hugest piece, right? Because if we want to institute any type of change in our life, we can't take a step until we have an awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And this is a, it's a, it's not an easy path, you know, to sit with yourself, to, to have these things come up. Like it's not for the faint of heart. I really say it's for the brave because we have to start to sit with ourselves, our true, true selves, our true emotions. Yes, completely. And you know, I remembered hearing, and I think it was Guru Jaquette that was talking about your relationship with your work as a reflection of your life. And when I first heard it, it was like, yes, I'm hardworking. I'm determined. I'm always going to figure out a way to do something. Um, but the more I actually did the practice, it was like, no, it was more of my identity was in my work. My self-worth was in my work. And I was very much uh, functioning in, you would say, the masculine state. And I don't say that as a, a negative. I was saying that as, you know, the masculine energy, it's very, it's clear, it's direct, it gives a lot of structure, it's very action oriented. And that's really, it's wonderful, right? It's, you know, it, it gets stuff done. But I was so far into that energy that I wanted to feel relaxed. I wanted to have a life in flow. I couldn't get there because I forgot how to kind of function in that feminine energy. And I forgot how to bring myself to that. So I think that when you're in these um, constructs that are very heavy, you know, into the, the structure and the masculine, which is very helpful, but when you're living in that, and we are living in a world that's very action oriented and doesn't honor rest and doesn't really honor doing things differently and doesn't necessarily honor the creativity um, and the ability just to sit. That doesn't recognize that you can make forward progress without mm -hmm. having to institute a physical action, that you can solve a problem another way other than thinking it through because we're very much into overthinking. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious your opinion on this, but I do feel in some way, shape or form, like the school system does teach us this, right? It teaches us to think our mm -hmm. way out of things, to figure it out, not to like take a step back and, and allow some kind of other answer to come towards us. Do you have any opinion on that? Ooh. Um, you know, I have to say I, my opinion would be, I think I agree with that, right? And when you think about it, what does the school system really recognize? It's the extroverts, right? That are putting themselves out there. They're, you know, the people who are kind of, they wanna see how you're thinking through a problem and, you know, wanna know your, your critical thinking. And all that is true and all that is helpful and all that is right. But I think when we have all these different constructs that are 
all heavily focused on to one side of the plane, we have an imbalance. And, you know, I think that when there's an imbalance, you can only function for so long until you get yourself depleted. Yeah. And now this is where people like you come in and start to teach us that there is another way. There is another way. And it's not that we've learned is wrong. It's just, and there there's more, there's more. Yes, exactly. At what point, you know, you had this awareness of, okay, I'm feeling fatigued. I'm feeling burned out. I'm feeling exhausted at my job, you know, finds Kundalini yoga starts to realize um, and become aware of yourself when do you really feel like your relationship with work shifted in a way that it started to impact your life? Oof. Well, I think in a lot of ways, the work was impacting my life from the very beginning. Um, I think though, I just was so heavily focused in the work and I was succeeding in the work that everything else was just kind of put on the back burner. Mm. But what really shifted is, is that, the more that I was into the doing Kundalini, the more I was seeing these work environments, the more that I couldn't connect with them anymore. And I knew that this wasn't the right place for me because it was really not in alignment with myself and where I really wanted to go. But the beauty I think in all of it really is, is that even though my relationship with that particular work shifted my relationship i think at home with my my husband and my other relationships flourished because i was actually now essentially like creating more balance and more space hmm. my whole entire life yeah yeah does your husband practice kundalini yoga with you i'm always so curious if the partner's joining <laughs> Okay, so um, truth be told, every year on our anniversary, we sit down and we kind of say what we want for each other. And so two years ago, I think it was two, yes, it was two years ago, I told him, I said, my goal is I want you to do one kundalini yoga practice <laughs> with me. So let me tell you, <laughs> He literally waited to the last minute. And I mean, listen, COVID hit. And I literally said to him, I said, listen, I said, half this year was gone. You, at this point, to complete the requirements, <laughs> it's an online class anyway. I was like, so you don't even have to go to a studio and be embarrassed, right? So, of course, it was literally like the last, it was literally like, I think it was the day before our anniversary, right? That's so funny. And he did the class with me and it was with one of my um, teacher trainers, actually Suri Sat. And it was a very difficult class and he finished it and he was like, okay. So first of all, he always tells me that he thinks, you know, you don't do enough in, in yoga that you mm -hmm. need to do a lot more cardio. And mm -hmm. I'm like, listen, there's really, I'm doing, I'm doing more than Savasana. I know that's all you see, but there's more. So let me tell you. It was a tough, he was, he finished that practice and he was like, oh my God. He goes, okay, it's a lot harder than I thought it was. <laughs> he was like, I partly feel like I could die, but I partly really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so with that said, about six months later, and this was maybe about two months ago, he was like, I think I want to do a practice with you again. 
And I was like, okay. So we actually did one online. Actually, it was um, it was Jay Dev. We did one of his from his mm -hmm. series, and he was like, he was it was half difficult and half <laughs> half better. He did a good job, and since then we are actually doing um their love 2.0 series and part of that is really a daily meditation so we're on week four of doing a daily meditation together <laughs> oh so special i love that and you know it's funny my husband always says we you can't be a preacher in your own house right like you can't force someone into doing yep. it when they when they choose it as their idea and it's just, it's beautiful. Yep. I'm so happy for you guys. That's, that's amazing. Um, so back to our topic of burnout, because you, I could talk about like, okay, <laughs> what do you do for fun on Saturdays? Um, what are some of the signs that you think someone should notice that accompany burnout? Like what should they expect? Well, I think exhaustion is probably the one that people notice the most, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just that you're tired, because I think what happens is we we talk ourselves out of it, right? Like, I'm just tired. I'm just working too much. Mm -hmm. But if you feel like you're not actually rested, like getting in and you feel like you're sleeping, but you're still not rested, that could be a good sign that, you know, you do have the exhaustion part of burnout, or, you know, you could be hit into adrenal fatigue, you know, that can be, you know, definitely part of it. Um, when you're really starting to get to the piece of the burnout, that's really where you start to notice your disconnection, either with yourself or with the work. And you actually may not be able to know the difference at first. And that's when you're just like, I want to say, not that you don't care, but you don't have that fire mm. that you once did. And these are those sometimes it's very subtle you don't just like wake up and you say i'm in burnout right and i also think a lot of times we use these words to kind of like check the box so we've like diagnosed ourselves do you know what i mean like i have anxiety i have adrenal fatigue i have burnout and i think sometimes when we when we do these self-diagnosis it's actually um it kind of takes the responsibility off of us because we're now essentially talking about it like it's us responding to everything that's around us. And yes, we are, right? This is a way we are responding to everything around us, but it's also very disempowering. Yes. So I think this is when people get to the place of, okay, I need a better job. I need a different schedule. Um, you know, I just need COVID to be over. I need this, this, and this, and then everything's going to be okay. But that's not necessarily true. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, this might be a whole different conversation, but I've always thought about the kind of paradox of diagnosis because in one hand, it makes someone feel really safe. You know, they are seen because there's a label that they can understand um, and feel feel understood with what's going on in their bodies. And then there's one part that kind of disempowers us because it says like this thing holds us holds us down in a way. Mm -hmm. Have you yeah. experienced that? And you're a nurse also. 
Mm -hmm. Yes. And yeah, I've experienced myself 100%. So, you know, from the burnout perspective, you know, you hear um, them saying, oh, causes of burnout, it's the work culture, unclear expectations, the environment. And I'm looking at the list, right, that, that they will give. And I'm like, okay, every single thing on that list is dependent on what's going on in that company structure. And I'm like, that is utterly disempowering completely. And then the one little thing is, oh, mindfulness. And it's like, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And now in this whole list, I'm supposed to muster this up somehow. No. Um, but personally, you know, I had anxiety my whole entire life. And you know, it wasn't a, an official like diagnosis, but I was always overthinking. I was always planning ahead. I was always, you know, worried about the past, um, you know, and that manifested itself in many different ways throughout my life. How it manifested in, in high school was very different from how it manifested in college and how it manifested in my adulthood. Um, but what I, I guess when we talk about the label and the diagnosis is that, you know, I always said, oh, I have anxiety. But I still distinctly remember saying to myself, I have anxiety and I need to figure out how to manage it. Mm. And it it was that's very disempowering because it like absolved me of being able to take my own control, my own power to actually do something with it because I really placed it as it's something that was part of me. It was like, I have curly hair and I have brown eyes. I have anxiety. It's just there. Mm -hmm. And just like you have to learn how to manage the hair, you just got to learn yeah. how to manage the anxiety. Um, and that's how I was treating it. But, yeah. and that was the other big piece is that, you know, after doing Kundalini yoga, I remember one day I'm like, hmm, the anxiety has gone. And I think that was another really big point where it's like, okay, we actually are a lot more powerful than, than we're taught. We're a lot more powerful than we think. We're a lot more powerful than we believe. You know, we actually do have the capability of, of changing ourselves on the inside. And that can change our relationship with the things around us on the outside. And that thing around us could be, you know, it could be the diagnosis. It could be the work, it could be the relationship with your husband or your wife. Um, you know, it even could be a relationship with food. I know I have a client that I actually, our last time working together is going to be this Saturday. She, one of her goals was to lose weight. I am not a weight loss coach at <laughs> all. <laughs> not in any, any, you know, construct, right? Um, however, we, we started with some practices and we were able to incorporate these into her daily life and that the weight came off pretty naturally and almost easily because she was changing her body chemistry on the inside. So her relationship with the food changed on the outside. Mm. I always find this fascinating. Um, and I've read this in many, many books and experiences in my own life, right? When we uh, the example could be someone who wants to quit smoking and they're like, I must quit smoking. I must quit smoking. I must quit smoking. You know, I must stop. That energy holds us back in some way. But instead, if you were to start to focus on the things that you really like enjoy doing, the things that bring you happiness, the things that make you feel good on the inside, many people will say that habit just kind of, you know, drifts away. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it really, what we focus on 
grows. So if we focus on that, we must stop something, that energy is like a force instead of a building of something else. Um, completely true. So I also, because I really love, you know, you know, we say the word addiction, right? Everyone's thinking smoking, alcohol, drugs, but really addictions are habits and our whole life is comprised of habits. And your brain doesn't know if, if you're smoking 10 packs of cigarettes a day or running 10 miles a day, your brain doesn't know the difference. It just knows it's a habit mm -hmm. and it likes that it's efficient. And if it's efficient, it doesn't have to use energy. So for us to actually make those shifts, we really do need to, um, partly do things that we enjoy, but also set up an environment that we can keep this consistency in. Cause I think the consistency is the biggest piece of it. So on top of that, I'm, you know, I'm doing some work with super health on um, addictions and, and habits. And in a piece of that work, um, and what I love about this is, is that, actually, let me say this one part first, what came up for me at one point is what I realized as I was feeding my anxiety. Hmm. the perfectionism, the workaholism, the having to be 10 steps ahead, having to have control every part of my life. I felt that I was feeding my anxiety. And then I think what really confirmed this as well is that when I'm taking this course, it actually said, you know, as an example was depression and anxiety, right? So the right hemisphere is imbalanced in our brain if you're experiencing depression or anxiety. So if depression, the more that you kind of stay withered away and anxiety, the more that you feed your anxiety. And for me, it was being fed by control. Mm -hmm. The larger your right hemisphere is becoming. Mm -hmm. And I look here at because it wasn't that I needed the confirmation I loved knowing that my internal intuition was validated actually with science. Um, and we don't need to always wait for that literature. We don't need to wait for the data. You know, it, it, yes, literature is great. Science is great. I was a research coordinator for many years. <laughs> I, I highly value it, but this is a construct that can only be tested, right? with certain things and certain variables and certain times. And what we're forgetting is that we are the ones that know our bodies the best. We are the ones that know ourselves the best. And I truly believe the more that we can learn to trust ourselves and listen to ourselves, the things that we come with and we go with, we can live in a flow and with that balance. I could not agree more. Absolutely, we all have this internal compass that's always been there. And I think people like you and I are helping others turn this on and, and remember that there are answers um, within for sure, right? Mm -hmm. So you and I and 24 other women are producing this, this book called Legacy Speaks. So I wanna talk a little bit about what's coming up for you. I'd love for you to share a little bit about your chapter and what you wrote about and how that relates to your upcoming program and everything exciting that you have going on in your life. Oh, sure. So yes, Legacy Speaks is coming out May 7th. Super excited to read everyone's chapters. And, you know, my chapter is literally about my, my transformation um, with my relationship, almost my relationship of learning to trust myself and just going through this whole process. And I think that one of the things I actually 
say in that chapter is that I'm at this point of transition right now, which is exactly where I was back in like 2012. But now I'm experiencing it in a whole new and a whole new different way and enjoying that place. Um, but how this all really relates is that, you know, I am, I do have a group program that we're going to start in the beginning of June. We are open for enrollment. It's called Subtle Shifts, um, Eliminating Burnout and Creating Balance for the High Achieving Woman. And this program was, was pretty much created, um, well, it was created because it's essentially what I did myself to help move myself through, um, you know, because I looked back on, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm feeling now how I wish I felt then. So I'm like, how can I put something together, right, to help us move through? So, um, so I'm super excited for this course to start. I really think we're going to have such a high, high impact. So if anyone who is, is stressed or filled with overwhelm, and at the same time, you want to be able to communicate and create healthy boundaries. And you want to do this in a group of women because you are not alone. We are in this together and we need to be here and support each other. Um, please, you can either check out my website, resiliencyreframed.com, or also on Instagram under Resiliency Reframed, send me a direct message. Um, regardless, if you're on the fence and you want to know more, we're actually going to be doing a free beat the burnout challenge next week, okay. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in my Facebook group. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, again, if you want a little more information, this is great for you to participate in. You know, this is this is not the mindfulness class that they have at work for you to sit there and you go take and you learn how to like take some breathing. This is not that at all. Like when I'm saying beat the burnout, we're going really deep. We are looking at burnout from a whole nother perspective. And, you know, if you're ready to do the work and you want to be empowered to make these shifts in your life that will have a massive impact, please, you can join us in the uh, Bodyful Collective Facebook group. Mm, it sounds magnificent. And as you're saying this, you know, I'm the visionary, I'm the dreamer. You know, what would the world look like if more high achieving women who were successful, you know, in their careers, like did all the things, if they started to, to really deepen their relationship with themselves, how would they change? And how would maybe the future of work change? Massive. Yeah. Don't you think it would yeah. be massive? Absolutely. I see your husband in the background just mm. smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just got home. He was teaching a course today, too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, this is the fun part about working from our homes. Like, everyone's yes, here. Everyone's here. <laughs> yeah, I think the shift would be, would be massive. Um, one thing I've always thought about is why the heck do we have 40 hour weeks? Like who came up with that? Where did that come from? Do you know? Right. You know, I actually don't know. And it's really interesting too, because when you think about it, I you know, have a friend of mine who's living in Spain right now and you know, they're very big on the siesta. Yeah. They don't start work till like nine, you know, they're taking a break at like two. Yeah, I've always thought that was so interesting, too, because um, when I did my yoga teacher training in Ibiza, I was the only American. So everyone was typically was European um, and they would talk about their five to six weeks of paid vacation per year 
from their jobs. And I'm just sitting there going, oh my God, I think I got 15 days of vacation. That doesn't show you that our culture is focused on like output and like pushing it. I mean, what, what else would, right? Like that's wild. Well, and not only that, right? I remember having the vacation time, but never taking it. Mm, Yes. Because if I took this vacation, I'm going to have all this work to come back to. Yes. Yes. And then there's a sense of guilt if you take it. Oh, totally. There's totally a sense of guilt. And especially, like, I think when you have these female-dominated professions, right? Because I think at the core, we do want to help each other and we do want to support each other. But you know, we, but we put everyone else in front almost to our own fall. So we don't want to take the vacation because the unit's going to be short or, you know, we don't want to take this long vacation because not only am I going to have all this work, but you're already drowning. And then if you have to cover for me, you're going to have this on top of it. Mm. Uh, That goes into a deeper structural systematic, you know, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. Uh, so what are your, you know, what's your big dream for yourself and the women that you get to work with? I think that one of the things I've always loved in my jobs, right, is helping others grow and expand. And it was my favorite thing to do. Like as a manager, I loved having my employees either advance up the ladder or shift to another position and, you know, find what they felt was the best fit and see them and see them succeed. So I I think in a lot of ways, that's my biggest vision here. Um, But it's just in a little bit of a different way because it's not going to be within that construct, right? The vision here is that I really hope that women I work with and the women I touch can learn to trust themselves and to learn to honor themselves because the more that I know I have even done this work, we notice these subtle ways that we don't honor ourselves that maybe seem insignificant, but the more aware we become to these things, we now can start to recognize them and then not only build ourselves up, but also with that awareness and avoid from continuing those patterns in the future. Mm, so necessary. And I feel like I'm so grateful that we've had this conversation. I think that anyone listening is able to take the mirror up to themselves and say, you know, what aspects of my life am I maybe pushing it? What aspects of am I telling myself this story that I have to go further? I have to go faster. I have to, you know, move ahead And for me, I'm just grateful because I always need this reminder too. I'm so driven. I'm so, I will shoot for the stars. Um, But just the reminder of taking, taking some time. So I'm very grateful for this conversation. And I'd love for you to share um, how people can find you, how they can connect with you if they're, if they're just tuning in. Oh, sure. So if you're just tuning in, um, on Instagram, I'm under Resiliency Reframed, and please feel free to send me a private message. I'm more than happy to chat. Um, I am on Facebook as well. Um, my Facebook group is the Bodyful Collective, so um, please, that's where we're going to be having our free challenge next week. Um, but most importantly, my website is resiliencyreframed.com, so you can also contact me through email there as well. Great. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Patricia. I'm so grateful. And 
Everyone stay tuned. Legacy Speaks is coming out May 7th. Patricia is one of the incredible authors of this book and she shares her story about burnout, her story about her returning to herself in this book. So thank you, Patricia. And thank you everyone for supporting our show and this mission. Have a beautiful day. Thank you.